You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Greetings, happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show free podcast, courtesy of our friends and partners at CRTV. They make this possible each and every day. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And, of course, we just finished wrapping up uh, the show for CRTV. It's uh, Friday, so we have the Dace Group Roundtable. Let's go around the room, give the audience a little taste of what's to come, what will be discussed and debated today here at CRTV. And, uh, Kim, ladies first, I'll start with you. What do you want to tease for the audience? Well, um, the discussion that we're going to have, and you see it on the media, a discussion about firearms and suppressors and how important it is to actually argue a principled argument on Second Amendment. Good. Todd? Well, America, I I know you were holding your breath on this one. there's, There's been some doubt, lots of gray area, but the stats are now in. America hates itself and each other. Yeah, that there's some polling on that that's really disturbing, but it touched off, I think, a very important conversation about why or why not things may not get better in the immediate future. You definitely want to check that out today here on CRTV. Aaron, what about you? Uh, I actually earned my paycheck around here for once and uh, crushed <laughs> some hope that you had at one point. Nice. That is true. No clickbait today? Dace uh, had Dace had hope. Yeah. You won't believe what Aaron did next. Yeah, I forgot. I Click forgot. Click here. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, I, I forgot to do it today. I won't let you down on Monday. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. So CRTV.com is how you can watch today's show. Promo code DACE. That'll get you access to a discounted subscription, not just to what we do here at CRTV, but um, the entire roster, including Michelle Malk and the great one, Mark Levin, Steven Crowder, the whole team here at CRTV. Promo code DACE. We also have monthly subscription options. Uh, You get a free trial. So if you sign up, you get a few days to check out every show we've ever done, all the shows that have ever been done. And if you can't find anything you like at all, that hey, cancel before the trial is up and it won't cost you a thing. So CRTV.com, promo code DACE. All right, let's get to a little feedback Friday. This is, pardon me, this is what you have sent us in the last few days and weeks that we have chosen to respond to. You guys ready to go? Yes. Yes. All right. This is from Jeffrey Payne in Winter Springs, Florida. He says, in the spirit of your Worldview Wednesdays, I want to describe conservatism and progressivism in nine words each. Progressivism. Life is accidental. Truth is constructed. Power is everything. Conservatism. Life was created. Truth is discoverable. Power is dangerous. I thought that That was brilliant. brilliant. It is. Kim, you agree? Well done, Jeffrey. Yes, absolutely. Is that haiku, by the way? Anybody know? Uh, no, no. Well, no, I don't no? think so. Okay, because I don't remember. Uh, whatever it is. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. What do you think, Todd? 
yeah, it's brilliance that will be ignored by most people who taught the word conservatism. <laughs> but it shows why we are struggling to find common ground. I think it shows why that we have that conversation about the word itself and its utility. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm for de-escalating things on a personal level. It's not because I'm not into fighting. I've spent my career doing this. We like fighting. Yeah, I got into this to fight. It's that we have to fight in a way that doesn't create either pyrrhic victories or undermine our own cause. And when you look at the way that Jeffrey Payne in Winter Springs, Florida, laid this out, it's very difficult to share a community with with either one of these sides. It's very difficult for them to share a community with one another. Very difficult. Yeah. These are two incontrovertible views. It, they're just they're not congruent on any level. They're not parallel. They're perpendicular to one another. And so, if we have an if we have an earnest ideological debate, it's going to get nasty enough because there is a chasm, a gator infested moat between these two viewpoints. Adding adding the personal onto it makes it really hard to when the when the ideological argument is over to then retreat to our neutral corners and share a country together not to mention it also makes having it it having that ideological argument at all virtually impossible when we just jump right to the personal but this is so brilliantly constructed it is so brilliantly and and profoundly and simply laid out it is very hard to find common ground and for those of you listening to us that are wondering, maybe you're of the persuasion, what is it with you conservative rabble-rousers? Why are you guys always angry at the Republican Party? Well, one of the things we have noticed is whenever common ground is found, does do we tend to move right to left to get that common ground or left to right, guys? Right to left. Right, right to, to left. left. Notice I didn't even give you the option of the of each side meeting in the middle. Did I even give you that option? No. Because the middle is already left. The middle's already gone. The middle's already left. Yes. And this is why there's so much frustration. Who's the Democrat that comes along and says, you know what? I'll vote for your 20-week abortion ban if you give me a rape or incest exception. Did we get any of those Democrats? I don't think so. No, in fact, guess who we have to go to to get those votes and give them exceptions? Uh, we have to actually do that with Republicans. Democrats won't even offer you any common ground at, on any level at all. Offer them, okay, we'll let Planned Parenthood continue to teach sex ed curriculums in the public schools, but alongside an abstinence curriculum at the same time. Will they take that compromise? No. No, they won't. So then tell me where we find common ground then. Meanwhile, it, it, whether it's John Boehner in the Obama years, what we see now is you just see Republicans negotiate against themselves. Democrats never move off their positions at all. What did, what did, what did Chuck and Nancy give up in exchange for the dead ceiling deal they made with Trump? Do you know what they gave up? Nothing. Nothing. They gave nothing up. Nothing at all. Not even a shiny object. They gave up Nothing. Go to them and say, you know what? We're going to give amnesty to all the illegals that are not, that pass a criminal background check. All the illegals that pass criminal background checks, we'll give them all green cards if they, don't, if they just want to go back and forth. If they want to stay, we'll, we'll give them amnesty. However, um, as restitution, they can't, they can't vote in an American election for their natural lifetimes. 
Chuck and Nancy don't want that, Steve. No, they won't take it on any level. They won't take any compromises at all. You know why they won't take any compromises at all? You said earlier that um, most conservatives don't want to accept these differences. Do you know who does accept these differences? Almost every progressive. That's why they don't compromise. They recognize the worldview clash here. And so they look at compromise and middle ground as giving up ground. I can't, I can't compromise with people who don't have any of the foundational beliefs or premises that I have. Where do we find common ground? That's why they don't ever compromise. It's, it's that we have too many so-called conservatives that don't want to accept this reality. And this is also why the Republican Party is always at war with, at war with itself. It's always violating Napoleon's um, axiom against fighting two front wars simultaneously. Because it refuses to accept, because many of them are either not conservatives or small p progressives. And so it, the people running the party refuse to accept the reality of the worldview situation on the ground. And that's why they always go to war against their own base. You watch next year. There might be one Democrat in the U.S. Senate, Mitch McConnell, spends as much money to defeat as he spent to defeat Judge Roy Moore and Mo Brooks in Alabama. That'll be Claire McCaskill in Missouri, I'll bet. Take that to the bank. She, she, I bet she'll be the only Democrat that will see 30 mil of McConnell donors, McConnell's donors' money dropped on a ass. What, like what he did to Mo Brooks and, and Judge Roy Moore. We need to keep track Moore. of that, by the way. Let's yes, do it right now. Let's make sure have to. and keep track of that. See how much money is spent going after Democrats in those Senate races compared to what was spent going after Mo Brooks and Judge Roy Moore. Watch. This is why they're at war with the, it's at war with itself all of the time because of this. It does not wish to accept the worldview situation or it doesn't accept them because they actually have more in common with the progressive world. That's where I would go. And they don't they're, want to admit yeah, that. They're more progressives and they're just in power to hold power. So it's the same thing. I think with the, the conversation that we had on Wednesday, just to add on to this as a bit of a, an aside for Worldview Wednesday. Yeah, it's so pertinent because it is possible to destroy your opponent and not win the argument. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at uh, Iraq and Afghanistan in my lifetime. We destroyed a lot of things. We, we, we killed a lot of people. We uh, tore down a lot of things. Did we win? Uh, did we win that war? Can't win a war when there's no objective. And that's, I think that's, that's the main thing. Um, I think uh, the so-called right is is missing is like an, a, a clear objective. Instead, we just want the empty calorie um, clickbait uh, crap. And that's, again, that's a conversation for a whole other podcast. But uh, that's that's another thing that's that's missing in this. Aside from not, uh, not admitting um, where the other side is coming from, we don't have an objective. One of the things I like about this, Jeffrey, is the truth is constructed because that's the point that yes. I like to focus in on whenever I'm talking to someone who has a different idea, a different worldview than I do. Because we can always get to, I can get them to admit that there is truth just by pointing out various things. And, you know, and if they're like all science, I can go there. I can, you know. So I love using that particular argument to try to win someone over. Todd, you're going to like this one. You ready? Yeah. Jenny Johnson in Tacoma, Washington writes, 
I originally signed up for CRTV because of Steven Crowder, but your show has been like a voice in the wilderness. Thank you for what you're doing. My question is, how would you respond to someone who quoted a nun to you as an argument for abortion? And she quotes to me, Sister Joan Chittister. Yep. You know, who the, you know this name? Yes. Quote, I do not believe that just because you're opposed to abortion that that makes you pro-life. In fact, I think in many cases, your morality is deeply lacking if all you want is a child born, but not a child fed, not a child educated, not a child housed. And why would I think that you don't? Because you don't want any tax money to go there. That's not pro-life. That's pro-birth. We need a much broader conversation on what the morality of pro-life is. Now, I don't know this woman's background. You obviously do. Okay. But I didn't hear that as an argument for abortion. I heard her making a social justice Correct. argument, calling out what she perceives as hypocrisy of so-called pro-lifers. But is this woman known to be pro-life in the church or pro, uh, pro-killing in the church? Do you know? That I'm uncertain of. What I do know is I've never heard her to go on offense for that cause as she does on her other. So you, you, like, this is, is this li- likely a deflection then when you look at the... It's a deflection for her openly gu- outing herself as pro-abortion. Is that is that what you're kind of... You, you, it, you're it surmising? could be. It could be. It's possible. All right, well, what we, what we would... And I think I'll, I'm going to let you comment on this, obviously, too. But what Sister Joan here, Jenny, she's conflating two different things. And that typically happens. Two kinds of people conflate things. The ignorant and the deceitful. They're not two different. Those aren't the same, by the way. Ignorant means you just don't know. You know, even you know, you've, you've not been educated. You've not been taught. You've not been catechized in this case, or you haven't really thought through the full ramifications of what you're asserting. And so, when we conflate things that aren't necessarily, what I mean by conflation is taking two things that appear to be the same but are not and putting them together. We conflate things out of out of ignorance or out of deception. Now. I find it hard to believe, but I will defer to you on this as the Catholic in the room. I find it hard to believe Sister Joan made it all the way to the order of nuns through an entire catechesis process and can feign ignorance. Is is that fair or unfair of of me, do you think? No, I think she can. So then if, if ignorance isn't on the table, then it's the other one, deception. Okay. Um, she is conflating socialist Marxist social teaching with biblical morality meaning she measures compassion by government action that's actually not a judeo-christian ethic in the judeo-christian ethic compassion is measured by individual action god has individual relationships with his people Israel in the Old Testament and the Jewish ethic, through the church of Jesus Christ, through Christ in the New Testament. This is why there is no social welfare state anywhere to be found in, uh, in, the, in, in the Bible. There, you couldn't have had one in old... Well, Steve, uh, they, 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 had, you know, they were run by the Levite priests. They took care of people. Uh, that's not a social welfare state. You're, you're conflating things again. Because to have a social welfare state, here's the first thing you must have, confiscatory taxation. Guess what they did not have in Old Testament Israel? Confiscatory taxation. You had to pay taxes yourself during certain times of the year. What do I mean by confiscatory taxation? A government agent lops off the top 
its take of your earnings and says, we'll, we'll, we'll dole out the compassion from here. That did not happen in Old Testament Israel. You had to, you had to leave your own gleanings from your own crops available. You had, to, you had to give your own tithe to the church yourself. Why? Because this, the, the corporate compassion is a Marxist theory. You as an individual needed to show your faithfulness to God by offering the alms that God commanded. This was an act of worship, not an act of citizenship. So during the Gospels, which government official is loathed? The, the tax, tax collector. collector. Yeah. Very good point, too. So I think the woman's a fraud yeah. based on her conflate. She's either ignorant ignorant of her own church's teachings or the or the the tradition and legacy she claims to be uh inheriting the mantle of as a nun or um she's a fraud they're not the same thing and so the argument is i i the argument is if you don't want to if you don't want to have a socialist welfare state we're just going to kill people does that sound like any sort of biblical ethic whatsoever we just kill innocent people it's it's a total the, the whole thing is a red herring. I mean, do you guys know anybody who's pro life who's like, yeah, I don't care if if the kid is living in the gutter after it's no, I don't, after no, I don't. It's, well, that's actually used by um, the the pro abortion people. Yes, it is. I mean, they say they they basically determined that this person is not going to have yep. a good life, so yep. they should just. In die. fact, the argument yep. she's making here: if you don't sign up for a Marxist welfare state, then just kill the kids that's to each according to his abilities to each according to his needs that's marxism to the core yep. if 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 there's no one to subsidize you and you and or you ca- your worth is not uh, is is a is a loss leader for government then you can be purged she's this is this is a communique this is a communique from i can't say the word this is a dispatch let's go with that one thank you that's what i was going with this is a dispatch from stalin circa 1935 todd this is this is this this is nowhere to be found traced back to saint peter this what this woman is saying yeah a deacon friend of mine who is roughly the same age as as sister joan and you know he's from that uh, the the same uh generation of baby boomers and he simply flat out said to me for the church to come alive once again my generation needs to die uh he said we we are just so drunk on the 60s and and everything you just laid out steve uh Aaron, you hit the nail on the head with red herrings. Uh, you know, clothing, feeding, whatever the other bullet points. I mean, our very own church, she knows this. There is an entire system called Catholic Charities mm-hmm. that does this on multiple levels. I'm glad you made that point because it, just to further expose her fraud, can the Catholic Church can the Catholic Church put a dent in serving the poor? If the government does nothing. Yes. Can the Catholic Church stop abortion from happening if the government does nothing? No. See what I'm going, where I'm going with here? The, the Catholic Church can still fulfill its mission to the poor, even if we had the worst, most nihilistic, utilitarian, robber baron government on planet Earth. The Church, however, does not have the power within it to legally stop the killing of innocents 
if government doesn't do its job, why is that? Well, if there's somebody who uh, steals from another person, do they go to the church exactly. to have that resolved or do exactly. they go to the government? That's the sphere of the government. That's when right. a person's rights are being abused and uh, really nixed as, as it is with, in the case of abortion, that's the sphere of the government yes. to punish the evil. That's exactly what I'm going for because if I flipped it around, can the state... Can the state, can, has a government ever on the history of this planet done more for the poor and impoverished than any religious or than the church has done? No. No. But can the state, even if the church does nothing, can the state stop the killing of innocents? Yes. That's what I'm, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. That's putting it right yes. there. Yes. Uh, and for the, the, your, the church that you claim to be a part of and... You know, maybe it's still authentic. Maybe you've just completely hijacked it for your own ends. I hope it's uh, the former. But know your history. The, the Catholic Church has, without government assistance, been part of a legacy of health care and education through founding universities. Through, for every major institution, quite frankly, that's known to mankind— the Catholic Church has been a part of building up and edifying science. A science the, the number of monks, priests who have been part of science, who have pushed that forward. Uh, the, the arts. I, mean, I can go on and on and on. That is the, uh, the one of the galling things at the heart of this lie as well. That you look back at your own church's history. And now in this moment, you see the only way forward is through the government's help. The, the, the church has stood there in the face of tyranny through millennia, mm-hmm. millennia, mm-hmm. when governments rose and fell and failed, even despite its own many illnesses, which continue to exist in the separation that exists between three people in this room and me. We're not. I'm the only Catholic in this room, but but these Christians, whether they are wearing a habit or not, these Catholics, whether they're wearing a habit or not, are a dime a dozen uh, within the Catholic Church, and that's why my deacon friend said we simply must go because as long as we're calling the shots, we'll never get it. Well, and you said Catholic charities. Do they not? get money from the government have they not just corrupted themselves oh in many respects it's why we were in this position with obamacare in the first place if they were a completely privately funded entity yes then that's it's 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 now where obamacare went so far as it did try to go into the private area as well but it's also why they ran afoul of of romney care in massachusetts because they took money from the government to, to for their adoption agencies and that's where the romney administration said you've got to, the catholic churches have to adopt kids out to homosexual right. families so that is the faustian bargain that you are alluding to joan i'll say one more thing on this too one way to one way to also expose fraud is to take is when when is to when is to take their argument to its ultimate conclusion. So in this case, this nun who's a Marxist, she's making the case that if you don't have, a, if if you're not willing to be holistic, what she views as holistically pro-life, and it's her own view by the way, then that means that you're not pro-life at all. Then I think you should ask her to abide by her same standard. Ask her. How many things did you say and write in support of the little sisters of the poor the last few years, and they were persecuted by the government? What have you done to defend the First Amendment freedoms of believers that government is saying you can't have your conscience rights? 
Because you, you know what you're going to find most of the time, and we see this with the Jim Wallace types and the evangelical side of the fence here too. They're never to be found. Ever. Ever. On, on any, any violations of Christian orthodoxy by the left, every time the left uses government to impose on Christian orthodoxy, they never have our back. Ever. Because they're not Christians. They're Marxists. Now me, I'm pretty sure, looking at the legacy of Little Sisters of the Poor and the fact that they have been in bed with government for a long time, right. I think I'm pretty sure, Todd, they have a different view of the welfare state and social theory than I do. I think that's a pretty safe bet, do you think? Mm, indeed. How much, how much time and energy have I spent in support of their freedom the last four years? A lot. Yeah. A lot. Why? Because I'm consistently applying a standard, which means I have to consistently apply it even for people that I don't always agree with all the time. Because the standard's more important. That's the most important thing of them all. The nun's standard is the most important thing to her as well. But now that you know that she didn't stand up for you all these other times on the other side of the argument, you know that her standard is not Christianity. It is Marxism. Just like Jim Wallace's and, and Tony Campolo's and, and their ilk, their standard is not Christianity either. It's Marxism. That's their standard. And furthermore, sister, I would like to say this to you. Here's one big difference, and it's not philosophical. It's just fact. You take that beautiful little baby that's born, and you put it in the hands of these people that you're ripping on for what you claim their philosophy is, they'd be happy to clothe it and feed it. But you put this beautiful baby in the hands of the ones who are pro-choice and ask them to be honest. It said, just before it was born, didn't deserve to live. How dare you, sister? Mm. How dare you conflate the truth of this? Well said. Yes. Tom H. writes, I was listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago. You said that if you guys fail, you want it to be because there's no market for the content you're providing. I also know that from a political activism perspective, you said after the election that conservatives need a true conservative TV platform. So I get why you've moved to a subscription system on that TV platform, but I wanted to let you know how it's working out for one other old radio hand, Jim Quinn out of Pittsburgh. They dumped his show in Pittsburgh, and when they did, their ratings plunged, and he was looking at retirement. So Quinn linked up with an old radio acquaintance of his and got back into broadcasting. He now has a studio in his basement, so he doesn't have to go to work every day. He does three hours of content a day. His content goes to Rochester and from there out to a traditional broadcast. He has picked up a couple of small stations in the Pittsburgh area. It's Quinn, a web guy who may or may not be part-time, and Rose, his CFO. That's their whole staff. He sells subscriptions to his show for streaming or podcasting. He's strictly radio, audio, no video. He advertises that his content is once again available on billboards in the Pittsburgh area. He charges five bucks a month for his content, and right now he has over 8,000 subscribers. Dude, if you do the math, he's getting a gross of nearly a half million a year. And given the low staff that he has... Expenses don't sound very high. Now, his net surely isn't what ego in broadcasting pulls in, but I myself could make do on that kind of revenue. Yes, that's a good point. So the question is, when are we moving into your basement, Steve? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> that's you not know, what I heard. If, if we weren't going to do a TV show, then we'd be in the basement now. That's the bottom line. You know, what's funny about this, though, is my old sports radio partner, him and I used to joke when we were doing a show together, how much we loved Dan Patrick. And he was the one guy in broadcasting we were jealous of. 
because originally his studio was at his house. Now he's got another fancy studio they built for him. But originally they built him a sports bar in his home, basically. And we used to joke, gosh, wouldn't it be great? You get up, your studio is in your house, and you go to work with your buddies who pretty much have everything all planned out for you. They just need your access to your Rolodex and your connections. And then they make sure they facilitate it. We were like, you know, Patrick rolls in like five minutes before the show starts. Who's on? All right, what are we talking about? Let's let it roll. Then he's done for the day. That's kind of what I do. <laughs> That's kind of what I do. You want to know the true irony of this is a, the guy who established that show for Dan Patrick, the guy who laid the groundwork, who created it, who put it on direct TV, is a guy by the name of Chris Crane. What an eerie coincidence that the guy who established this show put CRTV together, made it all happen. Gave me a show where I just essentially drive down the road. I don't get to do it. I don't get to do it in my house, but I do get to come to my buddy's office and do it. And I just sit around with a couple of buddies of mine. You guys do most of the work. You just need access to my connections and relationships to make it happen. I usually don't even come in here five minutes before we start. I usually come in here five minutes after we're supposed to have started. And then I'm going home the rest of the day. You know, the same guy that set that up, his name was Chris Crane too. I'm, it, it's weird that two guys named Chris Crane came up with both of these platforms and ideas. It's kind of nuts when you stop and think about it. Oh, wait, they're the same guy. How nuts is that now that I put that out there? <laughs> I mean, my old radio buddy, John Miller, and I used to sit around. Gosh, wouldn't it be great to be have a gig like that, too? Oh, and even do it like in the late mornings, early afternoons. You have to be up too early, and then you're still home <laughs> all afternoon. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. I, I, we you're were, living we, the dream, man. Yeah, I know. I never, when we were talking about this six, seven years ago, I had no idea that six, seven years later. You know what I'm going to Here's what I'm gonna, Gosh, it'd be great to be like a billionaire and like have all If this is how it really works in the universe, Send I'm going to start. It out I'm there. Gonna, I'm, I'm, yes, if, uh, this is the secret, right? So I'm going to just start. I'm going to, on a daily basis when we're not doing our show, gosh, it'd be great to be a billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing that in six or seven years, I'm just going gonna, gonna to work out. I'm going to be one, right? Isn't that the way it works, uh, Creflo? Yeah. Doesn't it work like that? Name it and claim it. Amen. Quick question before we go back to the emails. You guys know I love me some Babylon Bay, okay? Yeah. I got to ask, though. Is this one going too far? Yesterday, they ran a mock op-ed from Pat Robertson with the headline, Christianity is not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Donald Trump. How, how would that be going too far? I, I'm asking. Because when I read that, I was like, ooh. <laughs> Which means nailed it. I know. I'm like, what? Too far? No. You guys don't think so? No. It always gets you to think about it. You know, who is your God? And it goes for everyone. Is it government? Is it Donald Trump? Is it actually Jesus Christ? It's a brutal headline, man. It's brutal. It's just brutal. You just feeling a little soft for old man Pat there? Is that the deal? No. He, no. The only thing is that, yeah, he is. he's pretty old. That, that would be the only way I would see it All going right. too far. I just wanted the record to show for the audience. I attempted to show a little restraint and empathy, and my, the staff here I've been given was showing was having none of it. So again, I'm a victim here. I just want that stated for the record. I love, <laughs> I love how sometimes you're like, I hire these guys, and then <laughs> when fired. we do something, Wait. it's like, uh, 
It's like, like Adam. I'm held here against like, my will. It's like he Adam blinking it's like, oddly into the camera. It's, it's, like, like, Adam it's exactly in the like Adam actually. Yeah, yes. this exactly woman like you that. gave me. You'll find that when you get married too, when the kids are acting up and they won't mind, she's always going to tell you, "Hey, do something about your kids." Like you, like you, you just single handedly are the reason they're alive. You'll find that's how it works. Is that how it works at your house? Are they your kids when they're not acting, when they're not, when they're not behaving? Because they're my kids when they're not behaving. That's how it works at my house. Is that how it worked at your house, Kim? Were they no. his kids? No. No. How about we, at your we house? We have a different shtick. No. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they're totally my kids when they're not act when they're not acting right. That's how it works. Um, Rich Holbert says, "I loved your Clay Travis interview yesterday. What you said about society needing contrarians to question conventional wisdom is so true. A well-known Christian historian named Herbert Butterfield was known as a cultural historical contrarian, and um, and and some even called him a liberal skeptic." Uh, according to one scholar. But this is, again, why we need people willing to ask questions that make us uncomfortable that we don't want to have to answer. And I think, I think a healthy culture embraces its contrarians. Because even if they think they're full of feces, they're like, well, uh, just in case you're right, give me your snottiest question. Give me your best argument. You know, I did this, I, I was really challenged with this early in my faith walk. Or when I got at least early in my faith walk, when I wanted to apply it to what I was doing professionally for a living, and I was just making the transition from sports talk radio to news talk radio, and a friend of mine gave me a CD. This is right before the era of podcasting and iPhones and everything else. So a friend of mine gave me a CD, and it was a teaching from John MacArthur, and it was fifty reasons why Christians should not be involved in politics. Now MacArthur actually, for the first time ever, got involved in the last election. For many years, MacArthur would teach that the American Revolution was a violation of Romans 13. Okay, and so at the time that this CD was given to me back in 2006, he still held on to that exegetical view. And my instinct was to not listen to this. My instinct was, come on, I have a lot of respect for a lot of John MacArthur's work, but we all have our blind spots and I'm pretty confident this is one of them. And then a small, a still small voice in the back of my head that I frankly don't listen to enough. Every time I do something really right, it's when I listen to that voice. Every other time is when I don't, you know? The problem is I really don't want to listen to that voice very often because it tries to compel me to do things that are hard. And the still small voice, I was gonna, I was gonna file this in the circular file, file it under G, this CD, and a still small voice in the back of my head said, if you start making these kinds of decisions now, you'll end up becoming what you're critical of John MacArthur for. He's not even willing to accept a different exegetical view on the American Revolution, which now he's, he's changed his mind on this now, but he hadn't back in 06. And, and not to mention, how do you know he may not be, he might be right. You like to play video games late at night anyway, pop the CD in, how many more times do you have to listen to the color commentary on MLB The Show? You have it memorized by now. You play it so often. Mute the TV. Pop the CD in. Listen. Go through his reasons. Maybe you'll learn something. So one night I did. And I went through this CD for a couple of hours. It's like a 25-minute message, but I listened to it several times. And what I found was I could... I, I believed anyway, reasonably argue about, reasonably, reasonably argue against 48 of his 50 reasons. But there were two that were tricky. 
<clears throat> Two, I couldn't navigate around. And they forced me, they compelled me, convicted me, maybe is a better word. They convicted me to do political activism differently than I probably would have had I not listened to this CD. And the changes that that MacArthur CD compelled me to make are frankly one of the reasons why I'm sitting in this chair today. Because I, I, I went about doing things on the platform I had at that moment, a 50,000 watt radio station, I went about doing things differently. And the two things MacArthur brought up, it creates idolatry of party. We end up excusing the people wearing our uniform what they're doing wrong. And we end up saying, well, they're only 35% hedonists and the other side is 65%. So God's okay with 35% hedonism. We're good. That goes completely against a Christian ethic of transcendent moral standards. That was the first thing. The other thing he brought up was, what good has it done? What have we won? Now, he didn't say Reagan, but he basically said, other than a couple of getting a couple of presidents elected, what policies have changed in America? How are we any closer to ending abortion than we were before we started doing this? That forced me to reconsider my tactics. And that, that, that moment when I accepted some critical thinking against my own will, I did not want to listen to this. But the moment that I subjected myself to that were the first, I can look back on it now, were the first baby steps I took to writing that book, Rules for Patriots. It forced me to reconsider the tactics I was engaged in. And at the time I deployed the tactics, the system hated me. You know this, Kim. Oh, yeah. They said I was going to ruin the Republican Party and everything else. Now, I'm not the sole reason for this, but since, but, but it's a little bit like when you're the head coach, you'll get all the blame when the team sucks. So when the team's doing well, take all the credit because there aren't any half measures in this line of work. They tried to get me fired. And when I say they, I meant the Republicans. They tried to get me canned. I was killing the party. I was going to make it that no one, liberals already didn't listen to my radio station. Now the Republicans wouldn't either. When I started on this show, Democrats had total control of the state legislature. And they had the governor's mansion. In fact, in our 50-seat state Senate, there were 17 Republicans out of 50. It was, it was a rubber stamp. By the time I signed off, to go into syndication in 2011. They said everything was going to suck. I was killing everybody, driving everybody away. By the time I signed off in 2011, we had the highest turnout Iowa caucus of all time. Republicans had taken control of the legislature. They now had 60 of the 100 seats in the House. They had a tie in the Senate. We had a Republican governor. And we had, we had defeated historically something that had never been done in American history, state Supreme Court justices had lost by referendum, not because of malfeasance in their personal lives or, or ethical conduct, but because of their own rulings. Now, I am not to, to, to take so, the one to take credit solely for that by any stretch of the imagination. But I certainly, in the show I had on the largest media platform available in the state of Iowa, created the environment so people like Bob Vanderplatz in the other room down the hall over here, so people like you, Kim yes. Pearson, it gave you a chance to do, to create an environment where then you could do what was not possible four or five years before. Absolutely. Now, what, is, what does that mean? I was an Air Force. What do we use an Air Force for? Air cover. We soften the enemy up. Can you win a war with strictly an Air Force? Well, no. 
But man, is it a hell of a lot easier to win a war for the troops on the ground if you've got a kick-ass Air Force? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. That's what I did. Is I, is the, is the, and, and really, I didn't do it. I got to thank John MacArthur and his challenging and, and his challenging of my intellect created the, the thought process in my own mind that led me to go down the road of altering the paradigm of what I had originally planned. I was going to do the local Rush Limbaugh show. Liberals suck. Conservatives are great. Play, you know, everybody's happy. That's, that was my plan. I was going to do that. But the fact I couldn't argue around what MacArthur had challenged me on at the time convicted me to try something different and try something new. And obviously it's worked to some extent because our platform continues to grow and expand. So I'm not really sure why I brought all of that up, but I just wanted to. <laughs> well, you're talking about dialogue, um, I think. And, and needing being, contrarians. Yeah, needing, yeah, needing right. like, yeah. like uh, Kim said. I, but what you, the truth you came to actually fits being a sports guy much better. I mean, in sports, and you alluded to this, I think, yesterday or certainly this week, you know, you don't spend all your time as a coach or as a player hating your enemy. I mean, I know there's rivalries, but you, you respect them enough to know what they're going to do. But you spend a lot of time hating your own weakness and trying to get beyond that and make that better. That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If this is a party worth being a part of, we don't make excuses, ever. We, we try to get better. I mean, I, I coach kids in playing soccer. And, you know, I have two rules for them. You, you know, you listen and you hustle. Those are non-negotiables. You will do those things. Those fundamentals in terms of politics are the things we excuse away. All, ah, nah, and so we don't know what a football is anymore. And pretty mm-hmm. soon we have no, we're nowhere close to where we started. And you want to kill the contrarian. I mean, yes. that's yes. usually yes. what yes. Stone thi- him. Two, two things resulted in the success we had. Which, my, which the show I did and the way I did it played a pivotal role in, but is not nearly deserving of the exclusive credit for. Is that fair to think to say? Mm-hmm. But two things resulted in that. One is we created and turned out more Republicans than we'd ever recogn- realized even existed in the state of Iowa. Two, the Republican Party hated us for it. They hated us for it. They hated the fact that this liberty faction that you were a part of, Kim, right. and, the, and this grassroots revolution that you guys just needed a little publicity to get your message out. And it, it became, exposed and them. It, yep, and, and the minute that you guys brought all these new voters to the table, what did they want to do to you? Oh, yeah, they wanted to kill us. They wanted to get rid of you. Yep. They wanted to get rid of you. Yep. We won the judicial retention election in spite of the Republican Party. Absolutely. The, the Republican they did not leaders, want that fight. even though it was going on in the same election and it would have helped them to, because this was something that was going to help turn out, our, uh, turn out their base. Republican leaders in the legislature, the Republican gubernatorial candidate wanted no part of supporting that effort whatsoever. We won it in spite of them. They hated the fact that all these new Republican voters showed up. They hated the fact that people actually wanted to, to act on the party platform. They hated us for it. Hated us. Couple more. How far are we into this, Aaron? Uh, we're about forty-five minutes. In. All right, let's do one or two more. Jeremy Wally writes: As someone who did not vote for President Trump and has found myself to be rather critical of him, almost to a fault, I have in the back of my mind the notion that I am to honor, respect, and submit to governing authorities, as Paul states in Romans thirteen. 
I know I'm also called to pray for my leaders as well. However, in America, aren't the people technically the governing authorities to whom the state should submit? Is this a fair assessment? And if so, where does that leave us as far as our role as Christians in the political sphere? If it's not a fair assessment, how do we critique critique and submit simultaneously? Jeremy, you're making a point I have tried to make many, many times. What is the governing document? Not the founding document. Folks, what's the governing document of America? What is it? The Constitution. Constitution. What are the opening words of the Constitution? We the people. We the people. In order to form, 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 form. What existed before the government? The people. Therefore, who has the power, the government or the people? People. The people. Did the government form the people or the people form the government? People form the government. People form the government. So who's the governing authority in this country? People. The people, people are. We have this total, we, we hermeneutically have this completely backwards. Or exegetically, I should say. We have this totally backwards here. Honor the king. What does king mean? When you look at the etymology, when Peter and Paul both use the phrase honor the king. When you look up the word king, it's really funny. You know what it means? Uh, king. Yeah, it kind of means king, guys. It's king. King means king. Do we have kings in America, guys? No. Nope. We don't. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're, if the hermeneutic of your, of, of, of what Peter writes in his letter, one of his epistles about this, what Paul writes in his epistle to the Romans in, in Romans 13, if your hermeneutical, hermeneutical application is the governing authority, okay. I'm okay with that. I think there's solid ground and reason when you look at. The heavy emphasis Judeo-Christian hermeneutics places on submission to earthly authorities from Genesis to Revelation, with one exception, when the earthly authority decides they're the heavenly one, then we say no. Short of that, though, we submit, right? Do we all agree? That is, that's a theme throughout Jewish and Christian history, Genesis to Revelation. Yep. That's consistently applied. Yeah. Well, what's the governing authority in America? The people. The people are. The people are the governing authority. So Barack Obama, Donald Trump, they're not Nero, they're not Caligula, they're not, they're not Domitian, um, they're, 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 they're not Nebuchadnezzar, they're not the rulers, we are the rulers. Which is why I think it puts even more of an emphasis on de-escalating some of the personal aspect of, of, of our dialogue between one another in our culture. Because you're right, that's when it becomes this. If the people are the rulers and we hate each other, when we, what are we essentially going to create a form of? Civil war. So President Trump takes an oath of office, so help me God, by the powers vested in him by whom? The people of the United States. A government by the consent of the whom? Governed. 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 Steve, well, the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, that there is no authority on earth except that which God has ordained. So where do you get off saying the people are the authority? Does the Bible lie? No. So I agree that there is no authority on earth except that which God has ordained. Whom did God ordain as the authority, therefore, in this country? The people. The people are the authority. We have this backwards. There's a reason why your political class until around the early 20th century would never advocate for a tax system of more than 10%. Why was 10% a magic number? Because that was considered the amount of a tithe. It was considered erroneous, disgusting, 
putrid for government to ask more from its citizens than God and the church asks. Those were the days. Those were the days. That's a recognition of the civil authority. The authority in America are the people. This is why Benjamin Franklin walked out of Constitution Hall, Todd, and said what words when, they, when he's asked, what kind of government did y'all give us? What were his words? A republic, if you can if keep you, it. If you, if you, if you, if you can keep it. Who's the you? The people are the you. Might I suggest that when Aaron said earlier, he talked about uh, Donald Trump's um, birth control uh, mandate repeal, and Aaron said the 666th district court would repeal it this this lesson you're giving us right here is yes. why the president is powered to say hey um district court stick it where the sun don't shine this is what the I point i've been making all along no one gives an oath of office how many times you how many how many years have i done the same show who takes an oath of office so help me supreme court opinion anybody take that oath of office no so help me federal judge in the ninth district anybody take that oath so help me God, by the powers invested in me by the federal court, Northern District of Iowa. Is that what he says? No. By the powers invested in me by whom? The people. Who's the highest authority in, in our civil government? The people. Who's the highest authority on earth? God. That's why Benjamin Franklin, we gave you, you, you the power. If you can keep it. Well, how would we keep it? John Adams said, what kind of people could keep this power? A moral and religious one. A moral and religious one. Trump is not in a royal class. He's not in a political class. And neither is Barack Obama. Or Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. They're not God's anointed. They're, They're politicians. They're a means to an end. They're representatives. Well, who are they representing? Who has the power? The representee or the representor? Who has the power? The representee. The one you're representing has the power. Because if I'm representing someone, it means that I'm actually, I'm a steward of the power they have given me. And I am to use it as if the power is theirs. God looks at Adam and says, I have given you dominion over the earth. Who's, who's the one who has the power? The dominionee or the dominioner? The dominionee. The one who can grant dominion is the one who has the power. Adam is the covenantal representative of mankind. Who is he supposed to represent? God. Because God's the one giving the power to whom? Adam. Adam essentially was told, by the powers invested in me as God, I now allow you the the role to govern the planet. That's a, that's a, that, is, that, is, that is a foreshadowing of our own elected representatives. They are representatives, not rulers. You have this wrong. Stop turning your politicians into shiny objects and idols. Satirizing or parodying your politicians is not a violation of Romans 13 if it's justified. They're not gods. They're not even kings. They're employees. They're yeah, to make the they're janitors. Just go go keep it clean, okay, guys. Thank you. Do you think it, think of them like that? Is from there now is on. there any other venue? Like, do you think you think like Warren Buffett goes find goes and finds the regional VP of Berkshire Hathaway in his corner office? 
He's like, hey, I brought my kids by. I know you're really busy. Do you mind taking a picture with my grandkids? They just think the world of you. Do you think he does that? <laughs> Hell no. no. First of all, he doesn't freaking care. Neither do his grandkids. And you know, if his grandkids did for some odd reason want a picture of the regional VP of Berkshire Hathaway, you know what he'd be doing? Yeah, I really don't care what you have going on today. We're going to be by at three o'clock. Uh, have your Sunday best on. My grandkids want a picture. Because the who's the boss here? Uh, Mr. Buffett. Who's the regional VP? Meaning you're a, just a higher paid janitor. That'd be you. Okay? Why do, This idea, well, I know you're really busy up there at the state house, or I know you're really busy. On, busy for what? To talk to my boss? Talk to my boss? You can't come out and talk to my boss? In any other industry in America, if you refuse to talk to your boss, what would happen? Oh, you'd be fired. You'd be fired. Here we reelect you 91% of the time. So we go back to the very beginning, Benjamin Franklin's words. We have given you the power. That's what a republic is. The power of the people. We have given you the power if you can keep it. The only kind of people John Adams said that would be capable of keeping such power would be a moral and religious one. Since we are no longer a moral and religious one, we cannot keep the power and we have given it away. To the point that now many of us feel powerless and we think the, we think that the, the right answer is to not refight the American Revolution, but to try the French populist revolution instead. That went well. Yeah. One of the great mistakes of all of human history. I believe it ended with something called a reign of terror, if I recall, right? Something along those lines. And I think now they're on their 23rd constitution. And essentially, since they stormed the Bastille, the number one thing this civilization's been known for, other than chain smoking and fluffy pastries, is surrender jockeying. That's what they're known for. What's the old Craig's, what's the old ad, or the old uh, joke about uh, the French rifle on eBay? Seldom used, never fired. Mint condition, right? I mean, that's what's happened. What, this was once what, the most powerful nation on earth, France. We would not have won the American Revolution without the French. We were the most, they were the most, most, one of the most powerful nations on earth. Now they have essentially, they would not exist without us. They were on the brink of extinction, not once but twice in the 20th century. We bailed them out both times. All right, I've sermonized enough. Think we're done? Yeah, Those final words? Yep, that was a good, good one. Happy weekend. Those are good final words. Have a great weekend. Have some time with the kids. Enjoy some football, some fall weather. Don't forget CRTV.com, promo code DACE. We'll be back at it again on Monday. Until then, John 317. Steve Dace. I like it, you.